Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Austin, and joining me as always is my co-host Ryan. Hello, Ryan. Hello, hello. I was gonna I was gonna scream Lebu and then I realized that uh, you don't cheer for a French team. So Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea what it is that you're talking about right now, so it's probably Aye. good that you didn't just randomly shout things yeah i don't cheer for montreal cheer no, for true. toronto so but you know yeah 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 so but you're that's, that's, that's the reason we're recording that later. that's i think that's the thing like they yell it really loud the only hockey game i've ever been to was a montreal game in montreal and when they score they yell they yell that i'd be man i'd be remiss if i'm if i'm really wrong on that one but yeah i know the <laughs> the halves are maybe that's what they scream on the golf course i actually don't know <laughs> yeah, so uh, thank you guys so much for allowing us to record another night later because uh, basically my Toronto Maple Leafs made the playoffs. Yay! But they're playing Boston. Boo! Ugh, so. Boston. <laughs> if there's one thing we can agree on, Boston. See, here's my thing about Boston. This is a bit of this is a bit of non-video game, although I think it carries over into the EA Sports versions of the Boston say, Bruins. There, there totally is an EA Sports hockey game there is nhl every mm-hmm. year so <laughs> yeah like one of my best friends bob uh bob fornia he cheers for the boston bruins and he's the nicest person you'd ever talk to but um i feel like the boston bruins team is just filled with like a bunch of bullies and mean people you ever see them like play well obviously you've seen them play hockey you watched the toronto game yesterday and it just every time they're on camera they just look like they want to take your lunch money do you get that sense Yes, a hundred percent. So I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not off track here. They all look like they want to grab you by your skates and turn you over and just shake your extra lunch money out of your hockey pads. I feel like that's what I get from every time they look at the camera. They're just like really mean people, you know? Yep. And usually they beat us. So I was very much expecting the playoffs to be like 4-0 for the Bruins. Mm-hmm. And that was just me being a realistic Toronto fan. I love the Leafs. I always have, but we haven't won since forever. So well, maybe it's been literally it's been literally over fifty years. So <laughs> I mean, I I am very realistic in my Leafs playoff expectations, mm-hmm. and I was not emotionally prepared for them to win last night. But I did want to at least watch the game. Yeah, and you know what? You can tell this is a show that has two Canadians because we've we've we modified our recording schedule due to a hockey game. And I had even <laughs> I I haven't even re- realized that the playoffs were starting. So I'm glad I'm glad the Maple Leafs are in it. It's always nice to have as many Canadian teams as possible. Uh, Montreal was just edged out just just barely in the in the last uh, couple weeks. I guess I I mean I don't follow hockey. I just I just know a couple teams so it's exciting and you know hockey update maybe next week they'll still be doing good and we'll and we'll be we'll be able to talk about that i don't know hopefully that would be glorious yeah i'd be be. so happy (laughs) but yeah so uh that's why we're recording a day later so thank you guys so much for sticking with us through playoff hockey season but uh (laughs) other than other than watching playoff hockey ryan what have you been up to this week well i didn't tell you this pre-show but um I picked up something today that is, I haven't opened it. It's in a box and I'm not even going to touch it because, hey, we're not recording with video and it's in a plastic bag. So it would sound terrible to pull it out. But um, you remember (laughs) that? It's okay. Let's move past that, guys. It's fine. Uh, Don't worry. You can laugh after I tell you what I bought. So I bought a PlayStation Classic. Those things have, in my opinion, hit bargain 
uh, bargain level buys uh, before they basically sell out of stock. I know it's not the greatest purchase in the world, but it's gone from $80 Canadian to about $40 Canadian. So essentially, literally half price. And then I used a bit of some uh, Walmart rewards that I had sitting around. So like I was able to get it for like $35 plus with tax, which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. Literally, I don't think, I think I was actually talking to the clerk, like I thought at this point that this was the lowest it's going to go before they're hard to find. And and they are like, they're everywhere. They they printed, they made a lot of these things and they were trying to sell them at the NES, SNES sort of level of price point. But now they've they've slashed them so far. I, I don't see these things going lower than than half price and, and sticking around on the shelf. So, well, and I remember thinking, and maybe this is just me because mm-hmm. I'm not a PlayStation or I wasn't a PlayStation gamer like back in the original PlayStation days. Mm-hmm. But to me, the Nintendo lineup, because I, I totally agree that this is a, a super cool thing that they're doing by making these little mini throwback consoles. But I feel like the PlayStation lineup of games didn't start to be really iconic. And I'm sure that there's PlayStation gamers out there that are just going to hang me for this. But Mm -hmm. I I feel like it became iconic around like the PlayStation 2 era. Yeah, I think the argument can be made that the iconic PlayStation games sort of came out mid-cycle for the PlayStation in that... The classic, and I mean, we'll get into it next week when I've actually had time to play it, because I'm not a PlayStation, I was not a PlayStation gamer until the PlayStation 3. I had friends who had PlayStations. I can remember very specific memories of going to a friend's place who had a PlayStation and him showing me Final Fantasy VII, which I have never played for more than like 15 minutes, and seeing the controller. But that's the big thing, is halfway through the PlayStation's life cycle I, I believe i don't know if it's actually half but part way through they added the dual shocks so they so the mm-hmm. controllers that are in this just have the d-pad so that actually limited a lot of the really great games that people people were actually looking for but because i'm not a playstation gamer and i never played the playstation in my mind like this isn't like the super nes or nes where i'm playing it for nostalgia it's almost like i was happy to pick this up because i hadn't played any of these games I haven't even tried them and they could all be garbage. They could all be I'm sure one or two of them have been will make it worth the the half price purchase. I mean Final Fantasy 7's on this thing, so even to be able mm. to play that in a nostalgia nostalgic setting to me like I think that'll be really cool to check out. Um but yeah, it's uh it doesn't have the DualShock, so a lot of the games they that people were hoping for aren't in there. And some of the games that benefit from the DualShock might be in there, like Metal Gear Solid, and, and you're going to probably feel that when you're trying to control it with a D-pad. But um, And they didn't include Crash or Spyro, which were pretty iconic, and probably because they they just did those remasters for them. So mm-hmm. I had forgot Crash wasn't on it, because I was kind of like, you know what, I could play Crash, like an old school Crash, and I forgot it wasn't on there, and I was like, oh, well... That's a bit of a bummer, but uh, still looking forward to but checking yeah, so, that. But you know what I mean? Like the mm. lineups for the Nintendo consoles were just a little bit more um, well, mainstream, you, big name yeah. type. And like you said, nostalgic and everything else. I just, I feel like um, the PlayStation, when I was reading through the names of the games and stuff, they weren't, um, they didn't hit me as things I had to own or had to try. Whereas yeah. I feel like if they did a, playstation 2 mini or something that maybe 
But maybe that's getting too current gen. Like, I, I don't know. Or, like, too modern. I don't um, know. Because, like, I don't think that we'll see, like, a Nintendo 64. Like, as soon as you start to get into controllers that were more complicated than just a D-pad, I feel like that's where you kind of mm-hmm. stop being able to make these mini affordable experiences. Yeah, I think really it's where you get into games. Like, the N64 is a hard... It's funny, I actually had a dream about this before I even <laughs> bought the PlayStation Classic. This was, like, this week where I was dream. I was having some weird... I've been staying up late and going to bed late and waking up early. So I had this dream where the N64 Classic came out, and it was totally this typical experience where I'm trying to pre-order something and I can't pre-order it. It's, like, it's a nightmare for some reason for me. <laughs> I mean, for some reason. It's years of amiibo collecting that has just settled in the back of my brain and (laughs) ruined you i know and anyways the dream is me trying to pre-order an n64 classic and they had two versions they had a version that you could only plug two controllers in and they had a version where you could plug four controllers in uh super duper weird dream where you're like oh no wait i actually wanted to pre-order the four controller one oh no best buy is not working oh no all the four player ones are done and then i woke up in a in a cold sweat first world gamer problems (laughs) holy shit i know i woke up and i'm just like what is wrong with me (laughs) i I hope they never do this and and you know the thing is i i'm nostalgic for the nes controller i'm nostalgic for the snes controller but i don't think i'm nostalgic for the n64 controller I want I it to like stay in controller. the 90s. I liked it too, but like, do we really want it back in our lives? I don't think so. <laughs> it was like a I'm weird trident, I guess. But you're right, though. When you think about this, the PlayStation Classic, and then you think about the the Nintendo Classics they have done, you're you're right. The key difference is with the Nintendo Classics. You're like, oh, they're putting in an NES one, so you know they're gonna have Mario one through three, Zelda one through two. And blah, 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 blah. And then you you buy it. And sure enough, yes, all the ones I wanted in this are in here. And that's the biggest difference between the PlayStation Classic and that you think, well, of course they have to have Crash. Of course they have to have Spyro. And then it's not there. And it's kind of like, huh, why? Like, you couldn't have gone the extra mile, I guess, for that. But mm-hmm. there is some one. I'm looking forward to There's the or- original Resident Evil director's cut. I had not played it on the PlayStation, so I'll, I'll be... I'll look forward to checking that out. I I hadn't played the original Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation. Um, so there's at least five games that I'm looking to really sink my teeth into. And I'll try all the other ones just to kind of say I played them. But um, I'll report back next week. And, and after I've had some time with it, I, I literally, like I said, it's still it's unopened <laughs> so maybe someone maybe after i post this someone will message me like you should return it and wait till it goes down to 20 bucks so maybe that'll happen who knows tune in next week well i'm looking forward to see uh what you think of it overall because it's something that i i had forgotten was even a thing mm-hmm. that they that playstation had made it that it had come out and you it was actually purchasable now so yeah i think you can want to know out. what you think of it you could hold out for $30. I, I think that, you know, uh, a betting in a betting person's world, you could easily, you know, sit there and be like, no, nah, I'll wait for 30. But I, I, I just, I felt like 40 plus using some of my credit would be, be worth it. But yeah, I'll let you know. Um, outside of, you know, purchasing things at Walmart, I uh, picked up Return of the Obra Dinn, which was on sale through the BAFTA British Game Awards sale on Steam last weekend. 
And this is that game that I think you you talked to some folks on uh, Pixels about during the Game of the Year area. Yeah, this this was actually, and I can't remember whose it was, but this was actually somebody's Game of the Year for last year mm-hmm. um, because it was very puzzly and challenging and um, just an interesting concept in general because this is the one where the uh, like a ship is lost at sea and then magically turns up later on and then you have to go in and try to looking at people's like memories or something or like letters or, i can't yeah. remember yeah it is uh it's it's a piece it's, together like all the murders and stuff or like piece together how what happened to the ship yeah you're piecing together so you're the way i had people explain it to me is like you're an insurance person and that is uh, that is true to a certain extent. You are this person sent to the Oberdin, which is now returned after mysteriously disappearing, you know, years ago, uh, to find that the crew is either uh, dead or disappeared, and you have this book with you that you're using to chronicle the everything that's gone wrong on the Oberdin uh, from from setting sail to its final, you know, death death nail and. Um, it's it's a very mysterious and strange game. It's made by the creator of Papers Please, so it's got a very specific art style, which is kind of like this monochromatic sort of. It's br- like that like um, Game Boy ish like, type stuff. Oh, okay, yeah. I was gonna say like dot art, like not pixel art, but like you know that um, the art style where like it's just it's a picture, but it's made of a whole bunch of dots. Yeah, it certainly feels like that, but it's in a 3D space, so it kind of feels mm-hmm. like they've applied that aesthetic to a to a 3D modeled environment cuz you're walking around on this ship and it's very at first it's very like kind of shocking, but once you get used to it, it's actually really cool to walk around in this like dot drawn world and and as you interact yeah, with it. Yeah, so this is that is the number one reason why I stayed away from this game is okay. just because I I had seen screenshots and I think that maybe that's the difference is like static screenshots versus actually seeing gameplay because I haven't seen videos or any kind of gameplay or trailers or anything for this. Right. All I've seen is static screenshots and looking at the static screenshots I see that and I'm just kind of like ugh it's off-putting to me because it's all black and white and dots and i just it messes with my eyes so i'm just like ugh, i don't know if i can play this game so i i never picked it up but Mm -hmm. it does sound like something that would be like right up my alley if it weren't for the art style yeah you're moving around in 3d space even when so basically the idea is you're trying to solve what happened to the crew of the Oberdin. You arrive, you have this like magic stopwatch thing. It's like a, it's like a, a pocket watch and you flip it open and it, it kind of shows a skull. And what that allows you to do is when you find, you find your first, you know, pieces of human remains right on the deck and you walk up to it and you'll see like these weird, like, time, I think they call them like time flies or something. I don't know. It's, they look like stink lines, but they're not. So, so you walk, <laughs> you walk up and the controls are very simple. WASD for walking. You're using your mouse to kind of interact with things and zoom in with the with the right trigger or the right uh, button. And then when you come up to a corpse, you you pull out your pocket watch. Your character instantly pulls out the pocket watch. And then you hit the left mouse button, and then that flips open the watch, and uh, time changes. You get a little dilation coming down. Screen goes black, 
And what that's doing is it's letting you experience the final moments of that character, the the remains of that character. So the this is the first one you discover. Guys on the uh, the remains are on the deck outside of this the captain's quarters. So everything goes black. You hear audio, and the audio is your the guy who died is saying like, "Captain, you gotta let us in. He's in there. I know he's in there." And there's this scuffle. And then you hear the door open. And again, you're not seeing anything. You're just seeing a black screen. You're seeing dialogue pop up. So you're getting like, uh, you're getting subtitles. Subtitles, yeah, yeah. Appearing on the screen. And then you hear a gunshot. And as soon as that gunshot goes off, that signifies the death of the character. And then the screen now is not black. It snaps into focus. And you see the moment in which that character died. So then you're able to walk around and interact with all the characters that are in this scene. Um, you can zoom in on each person's face to find them in what is called a sketch. So you know you know everybody that was on the ship, and but you don't know who is who. So you're trying to not only identify how people died, you're trying to identify who everybody is as well. So that's part of the mystery, is trying to figure out who everybody is that you're seeing and then how they died. Um, so as soon yeah, like as you... all of that sounds like super up my alley. Like I'm a big puzzle person, mm-hmm. big mystery person, big historical fiction person. Like all of this sounds like I would love it, but I don't know. You got to check out, like checking out a trailer and seeing some of the video, like a tra- I highly suggest a trailer because there are moments in this that I'm not going to spoil tonight that could easily intrigue you, I think, but I don't want to like say too much in the sense that Oh, I wish you hadn't given it away because there are these moments where you suddenly discover, wow, this was more than mutiny. Like there's more here to this mystery. And I think that's worth experiencing on your own. And I don't know if it's given away in the trailers. The trailers, I think, are fairly calm. But uh, I always felt like we, we played The Witness and both of us jumped, you know, we jumped off that one pretty quick uh, yeah. because it was too complex. In this one trying to explain it it sounds very complex but it actually provides you with the tools where at first it can seem daunting but the tools you're provided actually make the game much simpler to sort out as you move forward so it sounds a whole lot like the one that i love from i guess two years ago the sexy mm -hmm. brutal or whatever Um, yeah (laughs) brutal But, uh, yeah, it sounds very much uh, similar to that. Is that, like, you think that one thing is happening, but the more that you figure out and the more you discover, mm-hmm. then the more complicated that the story becomes. But then the clearer the story becomes, too. Yeah. And that is what's happening here. Because as you're experiencing these moments and finding the remains, you're completing a storybook essentially so this moment the first one you discover is actually the beginning of the end of the book so you're discovering the moment in which someone breaks into the captain's you know quarters and then gets shot and then after you experience that memory after you've interacted with that memory in totality basically the scene closes automatically and then you're either ported you're offered to port back no, okay, so it's it, the the workflow is complicated. So basically, it 
it, mm-hmm. the scene ends and you're presented with the book. It shows you, okay, this is the beginning of chapter eight, the final chapter called the end. And you are seen, you, you are given like, here are the people that were in the scene. Here's where it happened. Here is a snapshot of the moment with the dialogue that you can pull back up to kind of make some assumptions of who's who. And then you have to write in your logbook, okay, like you're an insurance person. So you're trying to figure out who is this person so that we can compensate their kin back home or determine whether they don't get any payout because they committed a crime or something. Uh, You say like, okay, this person was shot by the captain because you know he was infiltrating the captain's chambers. So you can kind of make that assumption that he was killed by the captain. Therefore, now you know who the captain is, but you still don't know who the person who got shot is. So you kind of right. leave that blank. You leave it unknown. I'll come back to this. And as you progress so it through... Even gives you, it even gives you, like, the position in the story, I guess? Yeah. So you know that this person died at the end of the story. So you can kind of use clues from the rest of the memories that you're about to discover if they pop up. So you can look for defining features or even... If someone said their name, you can now assume like, oh, well, now I know that person's John because someone called them John. And it's all connected in this book where even though you don't know who that person is, by clicking on them in in sort of the, the sketch area, you can see. So there's this area in the book that is basically a sketch of the entire crew, but you don't know their names. Right. And so it's all left as unknown. So you can click on that person and you can see all the memories that they showed up in. And you can kind of like leaf through them to see like, okay, was there any defining features that I could pin this guy to a name? So let's say maybe someone said like, oh, um, one one time it popped up, someone said like, where's the Frenchman? So you look at the crew line up and you see like, oh, well, there's only one French guy on the boat. So I know the guy he's referencing was... Jean Duclerc or whatever. That wasn't the guy's name. I don't know. It just sounded French at the time. <laughs> that sounds very French. Yeah. yeah. And then there was another one where this guy said like, where's that dang Dane or whatever. And, you, and you're like, okay, Dane, that sounds like, what does Dane mean? Turns out it's someone from Denmark, right? There's all, there's only one guy in the crew from Denmark. So you can kind of, you, you make these assumptions based on these clues that are presented. And unlike the witness, the game actually unveils to you how easy it is to assume someone's identity. So the game will actually straight up tell you, like, you don't know enough information about this person, so their face is blurred out when you, uh, when you click on them in the sketch. So you know you don't have the information required to determine his identity, but as soon as you do have enough information or some information to make an assumption, it will then give you difficulty levels. So now this person's face isn't blurred, but there are symbols above that face to determine how easy it would be based on the information you've discovered so far. So if someone has three triangles, you know, ah, I'll come back to this person. If someone has one triangle above their head, it's like, okay, clearly I have enough information associated with this person that I can dig through the booklet and find something that ties this person to a name. Um, So that gives you sort of ideas, sort of leads, so that you you avoid even looking at the hard stuff and just focus on the stuff where you've discovered enough. And eventually, through process so of elimination, kind of like you figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I, I was going to say, it's kind of like a progression path. Exactly. So unlike The Witness, where it's like, ah, the this is your playground, have fun. This actually says, like, well, it's your playground, but like we're going to at least push you in the right direction so you don't feel like you're ever lost. You yeah. Know? So it's a, 
And then, you know, as it progresses, when you finish that memory and you close out and you go back to the ship, the first set of memories are very linear in that, like, well, as you're moving through the chambers, there's four dead bodies, there are four memories, you experience it that way. And then later on, when you've when you've basically experienced those four deaths, you realize, oh, well, there's no more dead bodies on top of the on top of the ship. So the last dead body you find in the captain's quarters leads you out into a memory on the hull, like, or sorry, on the, on the main deck. And when you find someone's dead body or where someone died there, the stopwatch suddenly has a new feature where it can kind of capture someone's body or death uh, that was moved, where the body was moved, uh, moved post, post-mortem. So then that brings that, that sort of moment out of the memory and into the real world and then places that body on the deck so suddenly now you're not just dealing with people who died on the spot and left because that makes sense you're not gonna leave a bunch of dead well this person died make sure you leave it there for the inspector and his magic stopwatch (laughs) you know uh (laughs) it, it is interesting in that it accommodates for that thing where like well this person died right at the beginning of their journey. So obviously they, they either disposed of the body or left it at the nearest port, right? To be buried properly. Um, so that brings out that death and then places it on, on board. And, you know, super puzzly game. I finished all the memories, which you would feel like is the conclusion to the game. But it really is just the first part of the game, finding all the memories. Because now I've collected all the information that the game is willing to give me now i need to start piecing together bit by bit all these all these identities all the logic puzzle basically exactly and then the more the more puzzles you solve the the less crew there is to identify and the the more you're able to actually piece together and i will say obviously it's not really a spoiler in that you have a magic stopwatch there are some supernatural elements to this game and Honestly, it's a really neat story that they're telling in a way where it's like sort of more about audio storytelling. It feels very much like an audiobook when they're kind of showcasing the action because when when the audio stops and the scene opens up, you're presented with this very detailed diorama, you know, of what's ha- what has happened in this moment when this person died. So, it's really cool, looks great like in action, they've they've done some really cool stuff here, the way they portray some of these characters in these moments. So, I think you would really dig it, and it's not so complex that you're gonna. It's hard to explain without it making it sound super complex, but I really think the game, like, urges you into it. And um, the the last thing I'll say is that you are, you you do lock in some of your fate. So when you when you when you complete a fate puzzle. And you've said, John Daly died from a gunshot by the captain. If as, When you get three of those right, the game says, hey, we're going to lock these in. They're right. So you kind of know if, if you were sure about one and you just finished your fourth one and that locked in three of them, it pays to pay attention to the ones that didn't get locked in, you know, because that tells you that you, you messed something up a little bit. Right. So I that's the one thing I would give people who are new. I ha- I wasn't paying attention to that. Obviously, I can go through and determine like okay, of the 20 I've I think I've completed, clearly these are all wrong or at least 18 <laughs> of them are wrong cuz it didn't like it comes in threes. They lock in in threes. Um so yeah, you are given 
sort of that nod of like, yeah, you figured these out, we're locking them in. So then that again allows you, gives you more information about like, oh, well, if I know, if I've identified the four people from, I think they call Formosa, there was like a, they picked up a, while they were traveling, they, the ship picks up like a a small crew from this, this uh, foreign country. And you've locked in three of those names and the fates have been sealed then you know well of course the last person who i haven't identified is the last name from formosa right from that country so there are little things like that and again i think the more i play the easier it will be to to actually finish it out so yeah highly recommend it really cool puzzle game and super duper unique so definitely worth checking out i'm just now i'm i'm looking at uh mm-hmm I'm looking at a video of it now, and I, I think I can do this. Yeah. I think I. I it's, mean, it's not as 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 jarring. I mean, it's still an odd art style. It's that very it odd. Takes, it takes my eyes a few seconds to kind of adjust to, but it's not as jarring as the stills make it look. Yeah, it really feels like an up-resed Game Boy. Like the old mm. school Game Boy monochromatic, but it's like it's been up-resed in a way. Now, it is weird identifying people by people's faces because like, even though they are defined in a way, they still look incredibly blurry and tough to make out. Like mm-hmm. if I'm supposed Which to be able to identify... I think it's good though, because I mean, if it was if it was in color and if it was like super duper detailed, animated or, you know, all the rest of it, then it would be too easy, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. It's kind of nice that there's some element of um, blurred photos sort of thing, like old-timey, grainy effects make sense and I think adds to the overall puzzle. But I'm just looking at it now um, on Steam and it's got overwhelmingly positive reviews overall and very positive reviews recently. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick it up and I'm going to check it out. Um, it's only $22 on mm-hmm. Steam Canadian, so it's probably around 19 or 20 bucks american so yeah and when i bought it on sale it was only i think a couple bucks off so i think it was just yeah. the, the catalyst like okay it's time to check this one out and it's it's worth the full price of admission like you said at 22 bucks it's it's not a it's it's not an expensive buy and and i think i completed all the memories in three hours so and i think i probably have like at least three more hours of solving the rest of the puzzles if if i want to go in and finish it completely i might play around with it a bit more but you know i've i've uncovered all the mist like i've i've completed the story of what happened to the oberdin just not what i'm not locking in everyone's fate so there's still the, like you said the logic puzzles are left so. it would be interesting to see like if there's any additional content once you actually lock everybody in, like if it gives you like a final cinematic or something. Well, or... there there is a chapter. So the book is given to you by this mysterious benefactor. And at the end of the game, like for me, when I completed all the memories, it says, oh, a storm's coming in. You better finish up your business and come back, come on down. So like I was like, OK, well, let's see what happens when I leave. And I got the bad ending because I hadn't like completed the book. If you get ah. the good ending, you do unlock the seventh chapter, which is titled The Bargain or something. And it's weird to think like, so there is, yeah, you're right. There is a final chapter that I have not experienced yet. So I guess I haven't completed all the memories <laughs> yet. So I, I got to work on that. 
Um, yeah, that sounds really cool, though. So yeah. I, I think I'm gonna, I am gonna check this out as well and uh, talk about it. I'll talk about it a bit next week. Um, mm-hmm. All I've been doing this week really um, is uh, there was obviously a new uh, Hearthstone expansion that came out on Tuesday. So I've been playing quite a lot of Hearthstone as well as I've been playing really just a whole lot of stuff that I'd already been playing. So I did go into ESO and I created my Dragon Knight character. So I was playing a bit of ESO. Then I was playing Dead by Daylight and Hearthstone. And obviously Warcraft is just kind of always there in the background. So I feel like this week for me in gaming... Oh, and Yoshi. I I played a lot more of Yoshi. I was really surprised how quickly the difficulty like ramped up in that game. Really? And I like, I mean, it wasn't like hard or like I couldn't complete the levels, but it just felt like I'd go through a level and I would feel like I was paying attention, but the levels were also quite long. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, all this in, in a in the best possible way, um, but the levels were all fairly long. But then it's like the first couple levels had like four or five flowers that I was supposed to find. And then level five or six all of a sudden had like seven that I had to find as well as the other three. Like it just felt like there were so many secrets hidden in the levels that I couldn't figure out my first time through. And I was just like, whoa, I'm I'm not that far into this game. And it just seemed like all of a sudden it was like, okay, you've got the basic concept. All right, let's go. So yeah, there's like a branching path on in the second world, which basically yeah. allows you to like head in three different directions. And I mean, you are presented with like the whole world, right? And uh, it was really cool to see that, that option to go in three different directions, which I, and you're right. Like once you hit that second world, the, the collectibles that you're looking for suddenly aren't, just out of reach they're hidden and you gotta really search for them and yeah like i i was kind of thinking that i was gonna go through and just find them all my first shot but i mean there were levels that i did over and over and over again that i still wasn't able to fully complete so i'm glad that it's as challenging as it is i think it's a really cool game but uh yeah so i've mostly just been kind of playing titles that i'd been playing anyways so i don't have too too much new this week but hearthstone is the newest of all of the stuff that i'm that i'm going to talk about just because there was the new rise of shadows expansion that came out uh which also corresponded to the rotation Mm -hmm. so we just lost all of uh journey to angoro frozen throne and kobolds and catacombs which were quite powerful expansions particularly frozen throne with the death knights though there was a lot of like the quest stuff in angoro as well as a lot of elementals and and just straight up powerful cards in these three expansions so rise of shadows itself has some pretty powerful cards but overall it's nice that the um expansions from last year are kind of getting a chance to shine because it very much felt like Witchwood and Rastakhan and I'm blanking on the other one but it really felt like those ones got overshadowed by everything that was from the year of the mammoth so it's nice that last year's expansions are finally uh, some of the cards are coming into the limelight so it's definitely noticeable and there's a lot of different decks out there right now and I'm having a lot of fun no single player yet though no and I mean I know we talked about that pre-show last week and um i mean i i'm not trying to poke poke the bear or anything i'm just curious like i feel like in the past when a hearthstone expansion came out and maybe this is just me like maybe i've i've kind of pulled away from you know following 
you know, the Blizzard side of things lately. But uh, am I wrong in that when an expansion used to come out, it was this huge, big, wah, 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 huge deal. And now it just seems like, I guess it just happens. Is it because it's like clockwork every three months we get a new one that it's not really permeating, like coming through just the Blizzard news and, and entering like the mainstream news now? Or am I just not paying enough attention? Like, I'm just curious. Um, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Because, I mean, Hearthstone is is an older game now. Yeah. Uh, Hearthstone's been out for five years or whatever. So it's not like it's uh, new anymore. And this is now the third uh, rotation that we've had. And so I I do feel like you're right in that it is kind of clockworky, right? Like, we know we're going to get three expansions a year. One of them comes out in April. The one that comes out in April has the rotation tied to it. Then we get another expansion in the summer, and we get another expansion in the fall. So I think that um, there's probably something to the predictability of card releases that make them not as newsworthy anymore. I think they're still... Like, I mean... the new expansion is on the Battle.net launcher and mm-hmm. like Blizzard itself is is doing promotion, but it's, it's not the biggest like card game, tradable card game, digital tradable tradable card game like out there. Like I'm not questioning its behemoth status. I guess it's just it hasn't really been I, I was surprised there was one coming out so soon because I felt like the last one had just come out. But maybe that's just my sense of time now. We're like three that's months. That's just your sense of time because for the rest of us, it was very much like, okay, it's time now. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that. You know, playing a, you know, playing a mobile game that has new content weekly with Fire Emblem Heroes. Like, I if it was if we went months, but then again, you'd you're, you would get all those heroes all in one fell swoop. So, yeah, uh, it's good that it, I, I'm glad that it's out. And what's the theme? Like shadows. Like so, what's the general idea behind this one? Like what's the keyword? I guess. So the big thing about what they're doing in Hearthstone this year that they haven't done previously is they've said that they want to tie a theme in terms of like a story mm-hmm. throughout the three expansions. So this expansion, Rise of Shadows, it's probably the least stoked I've been about a theme outside of probably Rosticon. And the reason that I wasn't stoked for Rosticon is just because it's so closely tied, including a lot of characters to what's currently going on in World of Warcraft and being a horde player who's also a raider. It just, it was like, oh, okay, I've already, like, I'm already playing a game that's all about these trolls and now you're, you know, doing it over here too and that's boring and think outside the box, come on. (laughs) So, I wasn't really stoked for Rosicon, but then with Rise of Shadows, what they've done is basically they kind of went like getting all the villains together from the previous expansions. So like King Togwaggle and Dr. Boom and Hagatha, like who were villains from previous expansions, they're like, ah. Oh, we all got our butts kicked. Let's, you know, band together and then we'll be able to take down these heroes and do a big heist of Dalaran or whatever. And it's just kind of like, these characters are even still in the standard rotation. Like, they didn't rotate out and leave. So it's like, like right now, we have multiple Dr. Booms. We have multiple Hagathas. Like, we have multiple, or I guess Togwaggle did rotate. But it's just like, I don't know. It's It felt like they were rehashing a lot of characters that, like, 
were either still in standard or that we just dealt with or whatever. So I was just kind of like, eh, this is not very exciting. But it's also the very beginning of this like annual story. So it could get better. Mm-hmm. But basically what they've said is there's like five classes that are led by one of the evil guys. So warriors, Dr. Boom, shamans or Hagatha and so on. And then there's the other four classes that are like the good guys. So like the mages and the paladins, like they're led by their champions and they're the defenders of Dalaran. And it's, it's a, it's kind of a meh uh, theme as far as I'm concerned, but We'll have to see how it kind of um, expands over the course of the year. It could be really cool by the end, but um, I'm, I wasn't too stoked. But that being said, the actual cards are really cool. And there's a lot of interesting things going on in the expansion. A lot of decks that are really fun to play. So they brought in schemes and twin spells, which are schemes when they come into your hand, they grow turn by turn until you play them. So like Hagatha's scheme is uh, deal one damage to all minions. Hmm. And then like if it's in your hand for two turns, then it's deal two damage to all and then three and then four, so on and so forth until you play it. So and the mana cost doesn't change. So like I think it's like three or four mana, I think maybe five. I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyways, it has kind of a middle of the road mana cost. And so if you're playing it to deal one damage to all minions, it's terrible. But eventually you could deal 20 damage to all minions and clear everything. And then it's 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 really, really good for the mana cost. So they're really interesting in that way. And then the twin spells are kind of like Echo, except for... So basically what happens is you will play the spell the first time and you it gives you another copy back into your hand. It doesn't disappear at the end of your turn, but it no longer says twin spell. So basically, it's like being able to run four copies of a spell in your deck, which is really cool. Hmm. No, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, like, I I played Hearthstone a long time ago. I think for me, uh, like, ladder is not going to be something I ever get, get into. But, like, I like the single player stuff, and I like to experience the theme of the expansion through that single player content. And I'm, I'm glad it's free now. I mean, it sucks. I guess I can't really support it's the game. It's not free anymore. Uh, what? The single player stuff is not free anymore. No. Jesus Murphy. Can they not pick a lane? Come on guys. <laughs> so, they went, they went back to charging for it because, um, so it's, I think 20 bucks. It's like 700 gold per wing. So it's the same as adventures uh, in terms of pricing where you can buy it with gold or you can buy it with dollars. Is that Um, new for this expansion? Yes. So all of last year, the single player stuff was free. But for this expansion with their new uh, model, you have to pay for it again. And I'm fine to pay for it if it's if it's solid content, you know, like I I will pay um, for it. But yeah. And so the reason that they did that is that or well, they they're giving you rewards now for single player, which they didn't before. So when you complete um, challenges, wings, I'm not 100 percent clear because, again, they, they haven't given us too much information on single player because it's it's still a few weeks out. So um, but they're giving you card packs. So I think there's. 15 or 16 card packs available over the course of the adventure. So, or the single player content, whatever they're going to call it. So 
you're kind of getting your money's worth in terms of like if you were to take that $20 and buy packs, I don't even think you would get as many as you're going to get for doing the adventure. Plus, then you also get the experience of playing, right? Whatever mm -hmm. that single player content is. So, yeah, it's not free anymore, but That's they fine. do have they do have rewards. So I'm in it for the experience. Uh, and that's that's about it. So I will look forward to that. And we don't know what it is yet, right? Right, right. Uh, like, they've basically said that it is a combination of the best parts of old school adventures and dungeon run and puzzles all rolled into one. So nobody really knows what that looks like yet because they haven't released a whole lot of details, but it's coming soon. <laughs> okay, well, I look forward to soon TM. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so if you like what we do and you'd like to support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash the gamers in. We're still looking for our April patrons. So if you would like to be featured on the show for the month of April, do go to patreon.com slash the gamers in. That brings us to our topic of the week this week. And we are going to be talking about Borderlands 3 and the fact that it is an Epic Game Store exclusive. So we kind of hinted at this last week, but we mm -hmm. had a whole lot to talk about. So we decided to throw this over to this week as our topic. And so basically what's happened is Borderlands 3 was announced. Yay! Everyone was super excited. Yay! There's guns with legs. Yay! But then <laughs> they also announced that it is going to be exclusive to the Epic Game Store until, I believe, April of 2020. Mm -hmm. So coming out this year, but only on the Epic Game Store. So That's for PC. This, yes. Yeah, for PC. It's still coming out this, on PS4 and Xbox One. Yes. This then led to people reviewing Borderlands 1 and 2 very, 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 very poorly mm -hmm. <laughs> on other platforms. So basically review bombing other games. So first of all, I think we should kind of talk about the pros and cons of having exclusive games store epic things. So are you pro or con having uh, Border Borderlands 3 on the Epic Game Store? Um I you know what the funny thing is like uh, I'm I think we've talked about this in the past. I'm fine with more launchers. I think uh exclusive is a strong word, but I, I my big here's my thing. I'm fine with ha being exclusive to the Epic Game Store. 2K can make whatever business deal they want and this is not the slimiest of you know switches you know we had the metro one where it was pre-orders were on steam and then they switched it to to exclude to the epic store my biggest concern and i don't know if this has been addressed is like as long as the multiplayer servers like as long as i can play the pc version in the epic game store with my friends that uh that are you know unable to install the epic game store uh app you know, who are going to get it on Steam in 2020. As long as I can play with those people, I am totally fine with this being exclusive until April 2020. Because again, this is business. They can, it's it's up to them. We don't have to agree with their business decision, but I think it's a case-by-case well, case customer basis, right? Yeah, and that's, that's a really interesting, I guess, point or concern. Because one thing that Steam has done is Steam has made itself an actual gaming platform. And so that comes with a whole bunch of extra features. And I've seen a lot of people complaining about the Epic Games Store saying it doesn't have all these other features. But to me, I feel like 
they should just build whatever multiplayer functionality and friend functionality or whatever that needs to be built should be built in the game. Because I know, like, basically it sounds like people are be- are getting upset at the Epic Games store mm-hmm. for being a store only. Where I'm actually totally fine with that because, I mean, okay, Dead by Daylight, and I know I've probably, you guys are sick of hearing the words Dead by Daylight come out of my mouth, but recently I've been playing a whole lot more of Dead by Daylight. And the fact that you have to use Steam in order to do things means that you can't really make actual parties, which makes queuing up for the game with your friends a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. So... It's great that I have one friends list that I have to manage on Steam, but then trying to make my Steam friends list talk to the game that I'm playing and using that shift tab Steam overlay stuff. I mean, every single time we get out of a match and try to go back in, one of the two of us has to rejoin the party, either by me sending an invite or by that person going, oh, they're in a public lobby, I can join their game. But you always have to go back out to Steam and back in again. So as much as like, yay, Steam has these extra features, they're not necessarily integrated well into every single game. So if you're building a platform to distribute games, i.e. a store, I think it's okay if all you're focusing on is building that platform to distribute the game because... Steam right now has such a monopoly on game purchases on PC that it's just like the go-to place mm-hmm. to the point that people are so upset that they'll go and review bomb Borderlands 1 and 2 because they've chosen to sell their game in a different store. Yeah. That's insane to me. Like that is not consumer friendly at all. Like the fact that they have a monopoly on the PC game market. That's not no, it's. I think it's a competition is very important, and it it has to be mentioned. Um, first of all, I, I know there was a discussion on, you know, uh, Gent. I almost said Gent again. I apologize. <laughs> Gent, <laughs> where they discuss this topic, and and really, it, the developer options that are being presented in terms of the 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 the, uh, the way the money is being split from a sale on the Epic Game Store is an important deconstruction of the 30% model, which has now been monopolized by Apple on the App Store and uh, Valve on the Steam Store. The the two, one of the two biggest digital distribution stores um, on on some of the biggest platforms out there, right? PC and mobile. I, I believe it's the same on, you know, consoles as well. Like they take that chunk as well, but it's a little different because you're using their specific hardware too. So there's a, there's another fee associated with that, but yeah, like, which I mean, technically you're using Apple specific hardware as well. If true. you're in the Apple store, PC is the only one really where valve outside of their like controllers and stuff. But if you think about the actual hardware that you're using to run the game, that has nothing to do with valve valve. Yeah as far as I know, unless I've totally missed a memo, doesn't build PCs, doesn't build and sell PCs. They, so. had, they had a short-lived like Steam hardware type thing, but it, it, it died pretty quickly. So yeah, there's there's not that same cut, but like it's important to know, yeah, like with the Epic Game Store, 2K and Gear, Gearbox are getting a bigger cut of the pie from these sales. And it makes perfect sense 
as a business decision. I'm not saying it's consumer friendly, uh, and a lot of people who have you know concerns about um, Borderlands 3 not launching on Steam because they love having everything in one app. That is a solid concern, and you should wait until April 2020. I know it sucks, but like that's that's the decision 2K's made. But for 2K, it makes perfect sense to launch exclusive on the Epic Game Store, get a large bunch of the first sales done on a store that gives you like a majority a of the exactly a bigger percentage, yeah. and then launch on Steam, where it's like okay, now that we've gotten the big you know the big sales out of the way at launch, we we'll put it on Steam, and then we'll let Valve take the 30 percent. You know what really fixes this whole thing is Valve, you know, stop holding their breath and make a better, fairer deal for developers, um, similar to what Epic has done. Maybe not quite the same because Epic is able to bring well, it even if- lower because they have the Unreal Engine, but Valve should at least look at that 30% and say, okay, let's let's try to... They might have even made some decisions, like a tiered system. I remember they made some announcements, but... Well, and the thing is, and I, I feel like we, we did talk about this before, I think what you're paying for as a developer publishing on Theme, you're paying for the user base. And I think that that's why the Epic Game Store is actually so important, is that because so many people have the Epic Launcher now, because so many people are playing Fortnite, I actually think that that's really good because there's going to be a lot of people maybe that aren't actually PC gamers that are just, you know, Fortnite players. So that's a different audience, but it's also an audience that is large enough to challenge Steam. Because again, going back to the idea of an, of a monopoly, like you were talking about how it's not consumer friendly for us to have things in different places, like games in different places, friends lists in, in different places. But I would argue that what's not consumer friendly is having only one company responsible for the digital distribution of video games on PCs. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is scary. That means that Valve is literally the company, and it has been for a long time now. They're the only company that's deciding when we get game sales, how much those sales are going to be. Like, that's not consumer-friendly. That's not any kind of competition. Mm-hmm. That's not a healthy market. And the Epic Game Store coming in and saying, look, okay, we're going to offer you a bigger cut of your profits. We're trying to entice you over here. Just give us, you know, six months of exclusive or whatever. And, you know, we'll give you a bigger cut of the profits. That's an exchange that's good for everybody. And I think faulting the Epic Store for not having a friends list or not having all of these different, like not having voice chat, not like it's a game store. It's not a gaming platform. And Steam is this weird hybrid of two. And it doesn't, like, the the store part of Steam isn't great for the consumer. And the multiplayer gaming platform type things that Steam does aren't the best implementation or the best built either. So it's like they're doing two things that aren't necessarily great for us. But we've been using Steam exclusively for so long now that it's hard to think of it as, like, think of doing it in any other way mm-hmm. and that's that's really 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 bad for gamers <laughs> yeah I, I mean i wonder because the the pc to me when i when i was a console gamer the reason pc gamers didn't like console gamers is because oh you're tied to one system you can only buy from one store like freedom you know and <laughs> and then when you come to pc now like fast forward 10 15 years later and it's like 
Steam is the clearest and best option. And every time a developer tries to introduce a new app or a new store, we are resistant. And and I mean, mm. it's important to question, you know, change, but it's not, maybe maybe like being staunchly against it whenever it occurs is not a it's not healthy um the epic game like the epic game store app it functions it works it launches games i'm able to download them i haven't purchased anything there yet i go in and get my free game i install it and play it a little bit and i move on with my life but it doesn't cause any catastrophic failure with my computer you know it's not that bad but I do see where people come from. They want everything in one store, but like at the end of the day, you kind of have to just, we kind of, we have to, we either, we have to accept it. And if we can't accept it, like, yeah, you can voice your opinion, but I think there are places to voice your opinion. Um, that doesn't like kind of jack up like a system that's there for a very different reason. Like user reviews aren't there for you to grandstand. They're there for you to encourage people to buy or stay clear from Borderlands or whatever game you're reviewing, right? Um, Yeah, so that's that's the second piece of this, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, they're basically... So we've kind of talked about so far whether the exclusivity on the Epic Game Store is a good thing or a bad thing, those gamers who think it's a bad thing then review bombed Borderlands 1 and 2. And so this is kind of the second part of the conversation then is, is it appropriate to review things a developer has done in the past based on actions that they're going to take in the future? And I think Ryan and I are both on the same side here saying no, because I think that you're right, Ryan, that reviews are, they are, Built in a way, at least the the current uh, iteration of the way that we do reviews of things are built in a way to take each individual offering by itself. So Borderlands 1 has reviews. Borderlands 2 has reviews. And I think that maybe the piece here that's missing potentially mm-hmm. is maybe we need like company reviews. Because I think it's absolutely insane for people to talk about Borderlands as if, or like to to hear people when they were v- reviewing Borderlands when it first came out, it was this awesome game that everybody loved and it's super cool and it's super fun and you know like nine out of ten, ten out of ten, you know all these super high ratings, and then all of a sudden a few years later when the game itself has not changed, mm-hmm. the game itself is what it is, but all of a sudden people are saying it's one out of ten, one out of ten, one out of ten, which is not an accurate review of the game. It's, so I mean, it's I, not even, it's not even related to the game. Like yeah. you, you mentioned, you know, games change over time. And one of the changes with the Borderlands 3 announcement was the fact that Borderlands 2 and uh, pre-sequel were getting a, a 4K update, like a, a high resolution update. So mm-hmm. there would have been grounds for creating new reviews for these games based on do these new, uh, what do these new graphic updates do for the game? They obviously don't, shouldn't wreck the game, but they might be like, hey, you know, it, looks great now go check it out with this new patch like that's a review of new content for that game that's applicable and very much related to that game um like i kind of like i kind of see people you know i can see where they're coming from i agree with you it is kind of it's it's weird thinking to to go on there and protest you know these this thing this, this business decision unrelated to borderlands 2 um 
but like you can kind of see where they're coming from and that they're they're trying to voice their opinion and they and reviews are very much paid attention to that's fine but where i where i come from and i see like yeah you do you it's a weird thing to do review bombing i don't agree with it uh it's so super unrelated and not not consumer friendly which you're you're saying you're you're pro by wanting it on every platform um but don't be upset when valve introduces a feature that combats review uh, review bombing you know where that was put in place for this borderlands 3 issue where it says like hey the reviews over the past two days have been very much related to this issue uh the reviews may not re- do not reflect the state of the game they are unrelated and we are excluding these reviews from the uh overall uh you know uh, rating rating yeah like the rating the rating average, right? So I think that's an important feature to have. Like, I think that's a smart feature for Valve to have implemented, you know, previous to this. And sometimes review bombing is not based on a business decision. Sometimes it's it's based on a character being in the game or, mm-hmm. you know, looking at, you know, uh, LGBT characters or the way, you know, certain things are portrayed. Like, it's usually controversial is when review bombing comes into play. Sometimes it's not even related to the game. It's related to a, a person attached to the game, you know, a, a business decision or, well, or just a, a personal decision. I don't know. Like, it's Yeah. Weird. And, th- and this is why I feel like maybe what we're missing here is the piece where we're not reviewing games. Like when you go on to steam and you go to borderlands you should be if you're going to leave a review you should be leaving a review about borderlands and maybe what we need is like a better business bureau for like lack of a better term that Mm -hmm. like is a place where you go to review and talk about the decisions that the company is making as a whole that has nothing to do with the actual content of the game. But isn't that the because, be- better business bureau? Like, would they? Would you? Well, not- but that's not a like. I mean, that's that's not a, a public thing, right? That's oh, a that's a that's a. I don't think I don't. I honestly, what I don't know. Twitter or Facebook or yeah, podcasting like, or like or forums or you yeah. know, like there's. I feel like there's lots of places where these type of issues can be discussed mm-hmm. that doesn't. Um, undermine or trivialize game reviews like we've had enough problems with game reviews over the years Mm -hmm. and you know game scores and all the rest of it so i feel like you know you don't you guys are just hurting other gamers by doing this like you're not really hurting the company you're just like making it even harder for gamers to go out and get honest opinions on video games do Which you, should be something we're all trying to avoid. Yeah. Do you feel like people would be would be discussing the issue uh, or or the the situation of Borderlands Three being exclusive to the Epic Game Store and people's disdain for that business decision if people weren't review bombing Steam? I mean, I, I think I know our answer to this, but I'm I'm just like that's a question people are asking. Like, well, if I can't review bomb on Steam and that's not the right way to go, like, how do I get people to discuss? This very clear issue I have with this business decision. I think we're all discussing it, right? Like, no matter whether there's review bombing well, or not. Well, that's the thing. Like, discussion is happening, and people people were talking about this issue before review bombing. Ha- it basically, like, the reason the review bombing happened is because people were discussion were discussing the issue. So, really, what I feel like review bombing is is just 
telling everyone else their opinions don't matter and they should just shut up because your opinion's more important. And you're like a kid throwing a tantrum. Like, oh, you're not listening to me enough on forums, on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever. I'm going to go review bomb now and maybe now you'll pay attention. Like, it just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. oh, it's so attention seeking. Yeah. It's well, you know, it's a great, a great place where people could have discussed this without review bombing would have been the Steam community boards for Borderlands 1, 2, pre-sequel. You could have, you could have taken, you could have started, a, uh, and I'm sure there are plenty of threads in there about this, this deal, but, you know, I, I think that it's, it's important for a business to be able to make decisions that it feels is uh is beneficial like one of the one of the comments is you know uh the pc gaming community has been an important part of the success of the borderlands series and we're excited to be partnering with epic who recognizes worldwide popularity and sharing our commitment to bring borderlands 3 to this rapidly expanding audience so like they're partnering directly with epic to get this game out there and they're doing it because they feel it's going to get more people looking at and, and purchasing and playing this game. And at the end of the day, like we're not even shareholders in that company. We, we had a lot to do with their success by buying the game. And you know how you vote primarily? You vote by not buying it and waiting for it to come out on Steam. And then if enough people who are against this de decision buy it on Steam, that is a great way to educate 2K and that like, well, maybe we do launch on both, both platforms yeah. next time. That is exactly. the clear way to do it is you vote with your wallet like wrapping back around to the start of the show when i talked about buying the playstation classic like it wasn't for me at 80 dollars. i voted with my wallet by buying it at half price that tells sony that like maybe the quality of these devices was not up to par with what we've come to know and love from the nes and super nes classic it's the same thing here you vote with your wallet if you don't agree with the business decision you wait until april 2020 or you buy it on console I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to hear like, oh, I'm not going to buy it on PC, I'll buy it on Xbox. But like at the end of the day, if you can't wait, you, you just, you gotta, you gotta well, suck that's up, the thing. I guess, right? Like, yeah, they, they don't, they don't want to wait. They want everything the way that they want it and they want it now. And yeah, sure. You could absolutely. You're right, Ryan. The best way to voice your displeasure with this is to wait until 2020 and buy it on Steam. Yeah, and but are, people don't want to do that. Exactly, people want it on Steam the same day as everything else, and yeah, yeah. There was a there was a great discussion on Core with uh, you know Scott Johnson, John Jagger, and Bo Schwartz, where they were discussing this exact issue. And you know, John and Scott are on board; they're going to buy it day one on an Epic Game Store. And Bo's like, "I'm not going to buy it. I'm going to wait till it comes on Steam." He has his reasons, and he's he's been he was very. Um, I think he expressed his opinions in a way that like, yeah, that makes sense. Definitely makes sense for him to wait because he wants it on Steam. He didn't, it, it, it didn't involve review bombing. It didn't involve like, you know, these weird statements of, of entitlement. It's just, he wants it on Steam and it's like, he's happy to wait for it. You know? So that's the thing. Like, that's how you vote your, with your, you vote with your wallet. It's, it's the only way to vote these days as a gamer. And um, with any decision that you don't agree with, like, you know, with Anthem, you know, you don't like the way that game launched and you were playing through the uh, premiere service, I'm pretty sure EA noticed a lot of drop-offs in subscriptions after that month, you know? And that's the way you teach you you show a company that your vote basically. Yeah. 
So if you want to tell us all the ways that we are totally wrong about the yeah, Epic Games Store exclusivity story, then uh, do jump over to our Discord. It's bit.ly slash TGI Discord. Uh, you can also visit us on the web at gamersinpodcast.com and totally review bomb us over on iTunes. <laughs> oh, God, don't do that. Please don't. Oh, God. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me, Jocelyn and Joss Plays, Ryan's News and R. Murphy. And don't forget to follow the show at the Gamers In. The video versions of all our episodes are streamed on Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash thegamersin and are also available after the fact over on Twitch. If you'd like to email the show and let us know what you're playing or what you think about the Epic Games Store, you can do so at info at gamersinpodcast.com. Thanks for staying at the Gamers Inn. Remember, tune in next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. imagine like for the next three years all we have is just a bunch of one-star reviews like you're wrong about borderlands 3 on the epic game store yeah